This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Well, I'm going to start with a joke. How about that? <laughs> um, praise God. So there's this Minnesota couple, and they decided to vacation in Florida during the winter. So they planned to stay at the, sev- the, the same hotel they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of the hectic schedules, it was difficult to coordinate their travel schedules, so the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on Thursday, and his wife would fly down the following day. Well, the husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in his room, so he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally uh, typed the wrong email, and um, he sent it without realizing his error. Well, meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a minister of many years who was called home to glory following a sudden heart attack. So the widow decided to check her email, expecting messages from relatives and friends. And after reading the first message, she screamed, and then she fainted and fell on the floor. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen, which read, to my loving wife, subject, I've arrived. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I just arrived and have been checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is not as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It's sure hot down here. (laughs) Hey, are you awake this morning? (laughs) Amen. Well, let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word going forth. I thank you for the attentiveness of your people here. And I humble myself before you. And I ask that you speak through me and give to your people what they need here today. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Once again, thank you to those of you who participated in our three days in prayer and fasting. You know, Matthew 6, 18 says this. And your father who sees in secret will recompense you, will repay you. He will reward you openly. So we can expect God's open reward for those who are obedient in that praying and fasting. Amen. And another push for the men's retreat. Uh, Brandon said that Church of the Harvest is crushing it with men. So we got a number of us guys going out there. Thank you. There's still some of you that kind of teetering. Come out there. Be a part of that. It's going to be a great weekend. Praise God. Spiritual apathy. I want to just talk uh, this uh, week here today and then then this this next week, Lord willing, on uh, something that I have gone through in the seasons of my walk with the Lord, Um, where at times you really feel close to the Lord and then at times you feel, God, where are you? You know, and you sense, you know, what, what, what's happening? And I'll talk to you of some of the dangers. And so this will be a continuation. We'll see how far we get. But uh, my text is going to be in Revelations 2. But let me just uh, uh, read another scripture that uh, I want to comment on. Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep. Somebody shall keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. 
Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And I thought about this this morning. I like bananas, all right? Some people hate bananas. My wife doesn't like bananas, but I like bananas. But how many of you know that bananas are time sensitive? <laughs> you know, the last thing you want to eat is some rotten black banana is the nastiest. But I, there's a time where I like it where it's just, it's, it's still nice inside, but it's kind of worn out on the outside. How many know what I'm saying? Well, you know what? Spirituality is a perishing discipline. I'm going to say that again. Your spirituality is a perishing discipline. In other words, it's a discipline, but if you don't maintain it, if you don't are engaged, if you are not intentional in your spiritual walk, it leads to, you know, you, you digress, you digress, you diminish. And just like a banana, if you miss that time, it's like nuts, these things are no good. Or stick them in the freezer and make banana bread, Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. One translation says it like this, never be lazing and showing your devotion. Another one says, be on fire with the Spirit serving the Lord. Another translation says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. You know, we are supposed to be the best employees at the companies we work at. Let me just personalize it. You are supposed to be, I am supposed to be the best employee. That means that we're not slipshod. We don't just kind of hem and haw. Yeah, I know we have days that are, we're not always there feeling good, but we are the ones that just go, that, 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 that exceed what God has for us. Amen. Serving the Lord. It's saying not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Goes on to say, work hard and do not be lazy. Serve the Lord with a heart full of devotion. A heart full of devotion. Now, if you have your tablets or whatever you want to turn to Revelation 2, verse 1 through 7, I'm just going to read that to kind of set the stage of what I want to briefly share this morning. We have Jesus' heartfelt message to the church in the book of Revelation. It was a precious church, the church of Ephesus. There were seven churches that he was addressing, and there were actual churches that existed at that time. But then it says this in verse 1, chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, someday when we get to heaven, the Lord is going to have a message to the angel of the church for the harvest. Right. There's an angel that walks, watches over this church. <laughs> so, so the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up uh, for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, 
which is in the paradise of God. Amen. You know, just a short note for next week, a teaser. It says Jesus, when he talks about them lost their first love, he goes on to say, there's something I do like. He says, this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. And I thought about that. What does that mean? Actually, in the Greek, it means to conquer the people. It's where they get the word Nicholas, to conquer the people. So here's the thing, and this is a teaser for next week. What was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that caused Christ to want this to be written down in the Bible for all subsequent generations to know that Jesus hates this, don't do this? I don't know about you, but I don't walk around every day thinking, what can I do today that God hates? (laughs) Come on, we want to be God pleasers, amen? We want to please the Lord in all that we do. And that's why we need to be sensitive to hear what the Spirit of God, and actually in the Greek, that word hatred means to hate. He hates it. You know, gee, that's a strong word. God hates that doctrine. We'll get into that next week. Revelation 2.4 is what I want to focus on here this morning. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Wow. Another translation says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Another one says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or, or each other as you did at first. Interesting. So here's the question that I have. Can a Christian backslide? Some say, no, it can't. You know, you can only be stronger in the Lord. And, or, you know, people talk about once saved, always saved. can never lose salvation. I want to get in that. But if a Christian can backslide, can a church backslide? And this is addressed to a church, but how many know a church is nothing if no people are in it, right? So it's really, it's the, it's the corporate expression of the people of God that come, as you have so this morning, to hear from the Lord and, and to worship him. So in Revelation 2.4, the word nevertheless in the Greek means, it actually means but. That's all it means. It, it means that despite all the outstanding commendations Christ had given to this church, In the previous verses, there was one point that was not commendable to the Lord, and it's this. In other words, in spite of all the remarkable features that made the Ephesian church so outstanding, there was one area in which these believers had failed. It was so bothersome to the Lord, Jesus, that he personally held it against them. Are you tracking with me this morning? He held this against them, that they lost their first love. He said the phrase against you in the Greek, it's very personal, it means. It informs us that the Lord Jesus Christ, he was deeply disturbed by something he knew about this church, and he spoke it, and it is written down for us today. How many with me say amen? Jesus declared to those Ephesian believers, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. In the Greek, it actually is written like this, because your love... The first one. Somebody shout the first one. You have left. You have left. And I think about that, that phrase, the first one. It's a clarification of what type of love Jesus was describing that they had left. How many tracking with me say amen? This phrase actually means early love, early love. One Greek commentator says the first one, that phrase. He said, Jesus used these words to remind the church in Ephesus of the wonder that was first awakened in their hearts for him when they received him as their savior many years earlier. You know, do you remember what it was like when you first came to Christ? Do you? 
need to remember about that, what he delivered you from. Some of you are addicted to cigarettes and God delivered you. Some of you are alcoholics and, and you were set free or some of you was an unfolding process. But, but when you first came to Christ, uh, how, how did you feel then? What was your passion for the Lord? And, and for me, I'll just explain, I was 15 years old and uh, I was in the living room, 532 East Street, Brockton, Mass., and we had this kind of an odd minister that kind of lived with us, and they did that a lot back then. And and he just went through a divorce, and but you know he had a big heart, and uh, his name was Dick Wilmont. I'll never forget him, and he helped me with uh, some of the homeschooling, and then we'd play a game Risk right after we'd finished school. So he was kind of like a kid, okay? He had over 300 jobs in his life, and had a problem with anger. Uh, but but you know we were ministering to him, but he came to our home. And he talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And my sister has moved to heaven, Sue. She began to laugh for 45 minutes, just, just laugh on the couch. It was just like uncontrollable. Well, when he prayed for me, and I received, and I began to speak in that, that heavenly utterance, his spirit gave unction, um, I began to cry. But my weeping wasn't sorrow upon sorrow. It was like buckets of love being poured into my spirit. It was like, you know, the overwhelming presence of the Lord. And I just, I wept and I wept. And the more I wept, the more it increased. Some of you wonder, what are you talking about? God has times of refreshing for each and every one of us. He sure does. Hang on to that. And so, so I, I remember what that's like. And, and so the question this morning, and I have a couple probing questions that we'll be asking is, is that, you know, where are you with that in that walk? Have you digressed from, he's like, oh, wow, pastor, you know, we've kept that fervency going great. If not, hang in. I got some more things I want to share with you. How many know like when two people, I just did a wedding yesterday and Nicolette and Chris are married and, 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 and it was a beautiful wedding. Um, but you know, when you, you dealing with the couples that are recently, you know, ready to, to take the plunge there to get married and, you know, they just have this love inside their eyes for each other. And, and that's all proper. That's, that's righteous. That's, that's expected. But the Ephesian church, they fell hard in love with the Lord. They were very passionate people. Their hearts were captivated with the love for Jesus. Uh, I have a couple of verses here. I'll show you that. In other words, there was no limits to what they would surrender to him. There was no limitations. If God asked it of me, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to follow the Lord. Did you just hear that? Amen. If God says something for me to let go, to get rid of, I'm going to do that. Because I want to be a God pleaser. Amen. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Glory to God. There were no boundaries to their obedience. They were willing to sacrifice and leave behind anything to follow him. One here is uh, about their repentance, the depth of their repentance in Acts 19. It says, many who had believed now came forward, watch this, confessing and disclosing their deeds. This doesn't happen just naturally. You can't force something like this. But when the Spirit of God is moving and He's prompting and people respond to it, watch what happens. They came up and they, they begin to disclose and they talk about what they've been doing. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books and burned them in front of everybody. So they had a bonfire. And so the magical arts, it actually goes on to say that uh, it actually had weight in silver. They valued it back then about 25,000. Just this church with those books, that was silver back then. 
this was a pretty, you know, a big bonfire and a lot of resources were burned away in those books. The Bible tells us that when they came to Christ, they burned their occult items and amputated every connection to the past that would hinder their new lives in him. You know, I just want to encourage you, you don't need to look to astrology and the stars and all of that. The answer is in Jesus Christ. Not your horoscope, not your daily whatever, what I need to be aware of. It's Jesus, okay? He's the creator of the stars. He placed them there, amen? Well, pastor, let me just say this. In other words, the repentance, the depth of this was it produced a radical, far-reaching, profound transformation that it actually completely altered their way of living. Now, I'm going to ask you this here this morning. Since you've come to Christ, has your life been completely altered in your way of living? That's a Selah. Kind of pause and think about that. Because, see, if there's a time in your life you can go back and go, oh, yes, I remember, Pastor. It was 15 years ago. It was a glorious time. How you doing now? Oh, man. I don't... Wow. I feel real dry inside. Just I don't know. I just can't seem to. Something's wrong. Amen, church? Something's wrong in our spirit, man and woman, if we're not continually going from line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Amen, church? They were, in other words, they were fervently in love with Jesus. They were completely sold out to him. No sorrows, no regrets, no reservations. But something happened along the way. As they were serving the Lord, that Jesus had to literally pin down and say to them, your love, the first one you have left, and that bothers me. That bothers me. How, how do we leave our first love? So think about that. The phrase you have left in the Greek, it indicates a voluntary release of something once held dear. To neglect, to ignore, or to leave something or someone behind. Here's the thing, those Ephesian believers they were still committed to Christ. They still, you know, were serving. They had a deep passion and fervency for him. But something happened. Something began to consume their hearts. And my question is why, how, and can you relate to that? Can you relate to that this morning? One commentator says this, over the years they had become more doctrinally sophisticated and astute. But their simple and profound first love for Jesus had somehow dissipated and it slipped away from them, even though they never stopped faithfully serving him. And so the question that I uh, just kind of pose, I'll put this up and illustrate it, is um, about loving. Is it possible to serve God and not love him or to love him less? And I would venture to argue that yes, that's true. How could you? I mean, how, I mean, I know the Lord well. We love Him, but let me just liken it to those of you who are married. You've been married. Think of your marriage. Are there times husbands look straight forward at this time? Do not you keep your eyes fixed right on me? Are there times on oh, wives you do too? <laughs> are there times when the love for your spouse is less than desirable? Don't have to answer that. <laughs> I didn't say you didn't love 
him or her. It's just less than desirable. That's a nice way to put it. Amen. Uh, you're still married. There's a rift. You know, you had an argument on the way to church. I remember one time we would go out to the Destiny Church and uh, serve there as youth pastor for many, many years. And I remember one time, I don't know what it was, we were arguing on a Sunday morning, can't remember what it was, and then we passed another couple because they pulled over the side of the road, we were just arguing, I don't even know what it was, and this other couple just kind of waved like, oh, they're going through it, and here I am going to the church. Now, I know that never may have happened to any of you. Amen. You're still married, there's a rift, there's an argument, there's an unresolved issue that's not fully resolved between you two. And, and the sad thing is sometimes it goes on for hours, days, oh, come on now, weeks. Some people it's months, and some people it's years. I heard of a situation of someone with over 16 years, there was an issue, unresolved, it was right there. Wow. Let me just say this, couples, something is dying inside of us, the both of you, husband and wife, when your issues are not resolved. Amen, Pastor Mike. I mean, that, it, that unresolved, or whatever it is, those issues, is a cancer, and it will metastasize someday. It will. It will. But, so let me just say this, <clears throat> you know, yeah, obviously, too, it depends the temper of this here and the magnitude of the withdrawal that maybe would be done with the marriage and all of that and all that. But, you know, I've been reading this book by Dr. Flynn, uh, <clears throat> Ending the Battle Between the Sexes, and it says, he says, here's a, a, a golden nugget for you wives in the morning. You ready? It's not mine. This is Dr. Flynn's. You ready? He says, wives, in the morning, to reduce arguments and contention with your husband, don't ask him to do anything in the morning. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Honey, when you take out the trash, could you bring this luggage up to the storage room? Could you bring that down to the freezer there, whatever? Don't, don't ask your husband to do anything. He's like, why? He said, because the man's testosterone level is the highest in the morning. And God made it that way. Why? So they could face the day. So they know what to do. So they can handle the difficulties. And so when a man wakes up, he's preparing, thinking what I need to do and all this. And then you get these little trivial things. He gets agitated. Amen, men. Am I only a guy that that has ever happened to? <laughs> he just gets kind of, it isn't like a, a blow up, but sometimes it could be. It's just, oh, I got other things I'm focusing on. He just recommends tell, you know, your, your husband at the evening time when his levels come down and he's more amiable. And he's like, sure, honey, I'll take care of that right now. <laughs> Amen. Some of you are looking at me like a deer in the headlight. What did he just say? I didn't say it. Dr. Flynn did. Amen. Just a freebie. Uh, <laughs> how can this happen to a church? How can it happen to a, a Christian, individual, believer? You know, they fought spiritual battles. They started new churches. Uh, they dealt with spiritual wolves, the Ephesian believers, and things that were trying to ravish the ministry and but it came to a point where they no longer enjoyed their relationship with Jesus that they had many years earlier. And whether they were tired, or whether they were lazy, maybe passive with age. You know what I mean by passive with age? Come on, all of you over 50. Amen. I think an illustration that really had burned uh, in me kind of a, a life lesson, if I could say that, that was vivid as a teenager is, uh, how many have had pets when you were kids? few of you. 
I loved German Shepherds, and especially German Shepherd puppies to me are the cutest. I right? just hands down. There's other cute dogs, but those German Shepherd puppies, they're so cute. I actually would crawl into the doghouse when Heidi was giving birth. And when German Shepherds, sometimes they can shoot out 8, 10, 12, 14 puppies. And I would catch them, and she was going to snip at me at first. I'm like, no, Heidi, no. And I would take these little puppies, stick them there, get them fed. And if one was too fat, I'd pull them out. You've got too much, stick a skinny one. Um, because what it'll do, if there's not enough for them, a the dog will throw one over its backside and it'll die just because he knows you can't take it. So I'm like, that ain't happening on my watch. Well, then she's like, after all those 14 puppies, she's like, what have you done? <laughs> But, but you know, she lived with us. We rode dirt bikes, you know. We, Heidi would come down, we called Down Back. Down Back was kind of like there was a piggery, you know, with sloughs back there, little ponds, and post-excavation from this development. And we'd ride our dirt bikes there. We made ramps, and we just had fun. And, we, you know, we, you know kids today need to have fun outside. Yes. Amen. I mean, I like, I built rafts, like in ponds, you know what I mean? With crawdads, like, I felt like I was going somewhere. I just had to cross the other side, but it was something important. And it created creativity. How can we get across there without getting the water on us? And just kind of, some of the stuff was a little bit crazy, but it was fun. If you sit in front of a blue screen playing a video game all night, that's not fun. And that's not constructive. Amen. Preach, Pastor Mike. Uh, I didn't go over good. But my point is, is this life lesson is Heidi age. They say a, a German shepherd every year ages seven years, human life. So if it's seven years old, it's 49 years old, that dog. So, you know, you have those first few years, especially when they're a puppy, they're just kind of can be obnoxious. You know what I mean? They're just constantly going and licking and playing and wagging its tail and after a few years, they slow down a little bit. Come on now, are you with me? And, and we had Heidi until she was 13 years old. I was actually in Okinawa. And uh, I, I remember my brothers, they, they called and they said, we got to put Heidi down. What? Mm. I was like, Heidi, she was with so much with us and been through so much. We got to put her down because arthritis set in the hip in the last year and a half. And, and finally, now where it's at, she's just using her front legs. She's just kind of pulling along. I was like, she's suffering. And then one of my brothers said, yeah, she had an infection or something, and we need to put her down. So, of course, my brothers, you know, and Italians, we're kind of extreme. <clears throat> so they took her, got her all washed up, cleaned, hot water, soap, combed her, brought her to McDonald's, you know, and literally fed her McDonald's hamburger and had her put down. <laughs> then they dug with the back hole a nice grave and faced, so her face faces the east when Christ rises, you know, and comes back for his church. You know, so it's, it was something good. <laughs> Amen. How many with me say amen? Heidi's in heaven. I believe that. She's in heaven. Amen. Why not? Why not? But my point is this, friends, life has a way of sucking your fervency and passion right out of you. It just has a way. Now, this was a remarkable church. I'm almost done. But the spiritual fervency that characterizes body believers in the past, it's missing. Something went missing. The blazing fire that once characterized these believers' lives had, had waned and it became little more than just a smoldering flame. <clears throat> you know, one of the dangers of spiritual apathy is familiarity, if I can say that again. Having, being too familiar. It, it, can, it can breed apathy, and let me just explain familiarity. <clears throat> Meaning relaxed friendliness or intimacy between people. 
casual ease, comfortableness, friendliness, lack of ceremony, lack of restraint, lack of reserve, naturalist, simplicity. And how many know those are not all bad? How you know it's just when you can go and call a friend and say, you know what, I've known them for 15 years or 30 years, your friend, or we've done work in ministry together. We've been going the last 8, 10, 12 years together. We've sit down and it's just at ease. It's just you don't have to, if you meet with someone the first time, you have dinner, you know, everyone's trying to figure everyone out. I may know what I'm talking about. There's something about that. that but, but familiarity in its proper context is right. But let me just one illustration. A church history theologian said that this church went through, uh, just like many generations, even, even where we're at now. How many remember the 1970s charismatic renewal? My parents were saved in that. And it was where the hippies were out smoking weed, and they were, you know, crazy, and, and a tremendous move of the Spirit happened on them, and it just spread across the whole country. And many of them, they started showing up in churches, barefoot, haggard looking, and they were on fire for the Lord. And God did something and began to change their lives. And they experienced the move of God, the power of God. My parents were saved, as I said, in there. But then you think, take my generation, the next generation, the second generation. Now they're raised in a Christian environment. How many know that's good? That's wonderful. But it, it's possible that those kids don't experience the same radical deliverance that their parents did. That was just a move of the Spirit. I mean, obviously, of course, it's the goal of every all believing parents to raise their children in a godly environment. However, it doesn't in that it does increase the need to work diligently to retain spiritual passion. Can I get an amen on that? We got to be diligent about that with our spiritual passion. But this historian goes on to say, as each successive generation becomes more accustomed to a Christian environment, we're talking about uh, this apathy, and learning to speak the language of the church, church language. We know what church language is, Amen. I've been biting that devil all day, you know. I've been taking spiritual authority over that. What? You tell that to someone in the public, they think you're nuts. Amen? <clears throat> Sing the songs of the church. Act the way church people act. It becomes easy, watch this, for younger generations to slip in a mindset of, it's familiarity. I'm used to that. I grew up with that. Kind of grew up with that. That's like my kids, they, they grew up in the church. They grew up in the church. And he's like, well, why do they do that? I don't know. They just do it because, well, that's the way they did it. How many remember, this is dating, where uh, the church used to have spontaneous singing in the spirit. Some of you go, what are you talking about, Pastor Mike? That's what I mean. And one would start, and I remember when dear sister Janine was here back in early 2000, and she would begin to lead out. And, and, and it was just this flow and this ebb and flow. It wasn't contrived. It was something the Spirit of God was doing. And we don't, we don't, we don't experience that anymore. Why is that? Why is that? Too often, these things can produce apathy in people's hearts ultimately leading them to take their faith and spiritual disciplines in the redemptive work of Christ for granted. Stand with me if you would, please. So what happens is this potential for this passion and this zeal, that spiritual fire, can grow dimmer and dimmer with each new generation. See, what's the antidote? What's the antidote? I don't know if I have this on the slide. Yes, 
The church and its members become unrelenting. Somebody shout unrelenting. unrelenting. In their commitment to retain their passion for Christ. This goes back to what I said initially. It's uh, your spiritual dis discipline. It's a perishable discipline. It's something if you do not maintain it, if you do not be intentional by tomorrow morning when you get up and you just go off and do what you need to do and don't think about church too. Oh, by the way, it's Friday. Yeah, I suppose we're going to go to church this Sunday. Yeah, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, maybe, you know, oh, it's going to be a nice day out. Amen. We have to be intentional. Amen, church? Intentional. And, and we have to be relentless. See, that's why we have corporate prayer on Saturday here. Just a little plug for that. That's why we have it. Why? It's to provide opportunity for you to take advantage of that, to stoke the fires of your spirituality. Amen. Preach, Pastor Mike. We're so glad that you're our pastor. <laughs> That's why we schedule corporate prayer and fasting. Corporately. Uh, some of you got that one. What? I'm fasting. What? Who is he to, you know? Don't matter. We still need to do it. I don't want you to go like, oh, whoopee, 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 we're fasting. It's agonizing. It's agonizing. But the benefits outweigh the temporary displeasure. Hallelujah. Amen. So that's why we do it. That's why we have prayer times, times of worship, and we schedule these things, and nights of worship. And that's why we go on missions trips. Keep the fire going when you come back. And we, you hear the testimonies of those, whether they help build houses in Houston or they're in Sri Lanka, somewhere in Japan. You hear how it's changed their life. That's why we do those things, amen? That's why we preach and teach God's word weekly for the past 19 years in this place. Amen? Keep the fire, the passion, the zeal of the Lord going. Keep it going. So that's what happened, that, that began to flicker, that began to wane. Um, so the big question is this. If it could happen to the church of Ephesus, which was an amazing church in the New Testament, it must be taken as a warning for the church at large in every subsequent generation. I get an amen on that. I challenge you this morning, and I saw all this, whole, uh, church friends, let's allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and reveal whether we are still on fire for the Lord as we once were. It may be a painful revelation to realize that, you know what, Pastor, I think I've lost my fire, my zeal. You have to get honest with yourself. You have to get on it. If you think of the days of old and they are more tantalizing of God's impact on your life, you may be going down this pathway without recognizing. See, here's the thing. If we're honest and we're willing to self-correct, we can be spared the tragedy, watch this, of becoming spiritually irrelevant to our generation. Did you hear that? Believers who lose their spiritual passion and fervor become spiritually irrelevant to their generation. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be walking around, but he's just irrelevant. You just, there's no, you know, you're there, but what, what do you, what are you, you know, what is your, irrelevant, insignificant, unimportant, of no matter. Well, Jesus loves me. Of course he does, but are we superficial? 
time for self-examination quickly as we conclude. Some questions, probing questions. Do you still feel passion for Christ as you used to in the early years? Do you still feel the wonder of it when you think about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life when you were filled, if you were filled that way? Do you long for being at church and experience the power of God as you used to experience when you were fresh to this new life? I love it after Wednesday night, the time of worship and prayer, and Kathleen met me out at the door, and she goes, can't we have church every night? I said, that would be wonderful, Kathleen. I'd need some help. <laughs> Hallelujah. How many with me say amen? Every head bowed, please, as we pray. Now, if the answer was yes to these questions, it's wonderful. You're still on track. You're on track. Praise God. But if you answered no to these questions, it's time for you to take action. See, here's the thing. God does not want this to take a long time. He just wants you to truthfully acknowledge your spiritual dilemma. Ask for forgiveness, repent, and get back on track. It's not hard. It's easy. See, God uh, is willing to stir that within our hearts if we're willing for him to do that. Here's the thing. God is for you. He's not against you. Amen, church. Let's stay on track this year with our relationship with the Lord. We'll talk more about this next week, but let's pray. You're here this morning. You say, Pastor, that spiritual fire has just waned in my soul. I remember when, and I have fallen far away. And at this point, I don't even know if God would take me back. Bible says, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. The beauty of the story of the prodigal son to me is that the heart of the father was looking, whether it was out on the porch or out in his property, every day. Because it said, when he saw his son from afar, God is with open arms. He is here to receive you all that want get, to get right with God. But here's the thing. Exodus 3.3 says this about Moses and the burning bush. He says this, I will now turn aside and see this great sight where the bush is not, bur is burned, where it was, it's not consumed. So Moses saw this bush, and when we know when he went to it, God met him. Isn't that right? But we do not know how long that bush was burning. And Moses just kind of, it, it says, it actually says that he turned aside. And that in the Hebrew, actually, it means it was not on the track which he was pursuing. Did you get that? So the track what he was pursuing, that burning bush was not on it. But when he turned aside, I'm going to go see now. Some of us, we need to turn aside this morning. We need to turn aside and say, I got to get on track. Every head bowed. He said, Pastor, I need to get right with the Lord in this. I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not going to be drawn out, but it's a simple prayer. And I believe if you are willing and obedient, you're going to reap the fruit of this prayer. Let's pray together. Say to me, say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Now take it. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for saving me. Jesus, kindle the fire in my heart. Stir up inside of me. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times in meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.